Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I am your host, Anna Garcia. We are recording this on Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Today, we are joined by Danny Smith. Danny spent 21 years with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, seven years in the homicide unit. And now he is a private investigator, a consultant, a friend of the show, but above all, Danny has found a voice for himself as a rather prolific writer. Welcome back, Danny. Thanks, Anna. I'm always uh, grateful when I'm on here. Thank you. Oh, we, we love to have you. And, you know, for those of you who follow this program, I met Danny on a murder case of a little girl. And we met years ago on Crime Watch Daily. So um, you never know where you're going to find people. Um, the adventure continues in in fighting for the rights of survivors. I know you're very close to the mother of that little girl who was murdered. And so I always appreciated that about you. Now, you we're going to talk about your books a little later, but you've got a great headline. You're like your book is doing great on Amazon. Yeah, the uh, the last book that I uh, published is the is a memoir. It's the first nonfiction that I've published and I published it September 8th. And um, so here almost four months later, it's uh, it's still in the top 10 for law enforcement memoirs on um, Amazon and it's doing great selling off copies and people a lot of great feedback the the reviews have been fabulous on it so very happy about that and it's called nothing left to prove and what's what's important about this and we talked about this on another mm-hmm. episode and and it was at the end so i, I kind of want to mention it at the top here because it says so much about you you started writing because you were suffering from ptsd from the horrific crimes that you were covering and and the violence that you were seeing and your therapist said to you start writing and that yeah. and that led to this. Yeah, it, it it did. It took quite a few years before uh, before it actually all kind of came together. But that is how I got going in the direction of, of becoming an author, and um, never had any clue that that that's where my life would take me. 
but uh, it's it's exciting and I enjoy it. And um, and the shrink was right; it's very therapeutic to write, and I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, have experienced that as well. Well, thank you for always sharing that because so many listeners and viewers are always touched by you sharing that part of it and how important that is. And you're a sensitive human being. And we've got two cases today that, you know, they're they're going to infuriate you. They're going to make you mad. They're just and then you're going to say there's just something wrong about this. And everything about today's cases are about attempts to fake deaths in order to get away with crimes. And sadly, one involves a child, okay? So here's what we're looking at. A Tennessee woman tells her son's school that her 12-year-old son has died as a result of a seizure. Teachers and friends begin raising money for the child's funeral arrangements. As you can imagine, the whole school rallied. And then the boy is found alive abandoned in a motel room. He had been there for weeks, say police. Why did the mother lie? And why did she run out on her special needs child? It's heartbreaking, this story. Our other case is a man accused of sex crimes in several states dies from cancer in 2020. Or did he die? Now authorities say that he faked his death and is an international fugitive He's just been apprehended in, of all places, Scotland, in a hospital where he had a near fatal case of COVID, was on a ventilator, and now they're working to extradite him back to the United States. This is one of those, you know, catch me if you can stories. It's just outrageous, Danny. Yeah, it's pretty strange, and um, and and I don't know from what I've been reading. I don't know if he's actually even healthy enough to be extradited yet. But um, uh, he he went there believing that he could not be extradited uh, back to the United States for his crimes. But um, actually, they there are certain laws that allow extradition, and you know, um, it's just it was it was a mis. He misunderstood how that works. Some things they won't <laughs> extradite. Some things they won't extradite for. But but this case, these cases, these rapes, they they certainly will. So, yeah, a lot of miscalcul miscalculations on his part. So this is the case of Nicholas Rossi. He's also known as Nicholas Oliverdian, and he has multiple aliases, at least eight, according to one of the prosecutors in Utah who's been searching for this guy. Police say that he faked his death two years ago and he made sure to post an obituary, <laughs> an obituary to leave a story and legacy behind. How much of it is truthful? I have no idea yet. So Nicholas is wanted is wanted by multiple law enforcement agencies in the United States for financial and sex crimes. And internationally, he's wanted by Interpol, possibly for additional crimes in the UK. He was discovered at a Scottish hospital last month, registered under an assumed name. 34 year old Nicholas, who sometimes goes by Rossi, told the hospital his name was Arthur Knight. I like that. Very English Knight, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, he was admitted into the hospital because he had a serious case of COVID, so serious on a ventilator, and he almost really died for real this time. OK, and this is actually, you know, prosecutors say he might have actually continued to live under the radar had he not almost died and checked into a hospital. That was, that was his fatal, near fatal flaw, if you will, in his case. Investigators say 
that they're not going to reveal exactly how they knew what was going on. But my guess is they said Interpol said that there was a tip. My guess is if you think that you're dying, you've been in hiding and now you're scared that you're going to die. You want to start talking to all the people you love who you may have not communicated with for your own personal safety. That's just my theory. What, what do you think, Danny? Well, that's an interesting theory. And uh, I didn't, um, I didn't think of it like that. I, uh, I was thinking that there's an anonymous tip from somebody because, you know, it said that they, they figured out who he was, de you know, determined who he was through fingerprints and DNA, but clearly how they got to that point, how they decided that the man in the hospital is this fugitive, you know, that's, that's a needle in a haystack type of a thing. There had to have been a tip. Yes. But, but Anna, you make a good point. Maybe he did contact someone. I, I don't know if he's on a ventilator, I doubt it, but maybe, maybe a text message or an email or something to somebody. But um, yeah, that's, it's a, that's a fascinating part in the fact that law enforcement won't reveal uh, how it is that they ended up finding him there makes me think it's it's an anonymous, an anonymous tip or not maybe not anonymous but somebody tipped them off you know, yeah that's my that's my sense of it yeah absolutely um and that's what's being reported that that there was some kind of a of a tip now when interpol got this tip that they thought they had finally found this fugitive that they'd been looking for they sent photos of of the man who they thought he was nicholas rossi to the hospital and then the staff in glasgow took a look at the photos and it's like well it sure looks like the guy then further confirmation was needed where the authorities sent over um, fingerprint samples and dna and asked for samples to be able to figure out is this who we think he is and we're pretty sure that it is and it was say authorities right. okay so the question is who is this Nicholas, right? Like, why is he wanted and why would he go to such lengths to fake his death and run away? So in 2008, Nicholas Rossi was convicted in Ohio on two sex related charges, sexual imposition and public indecency. He reportedly confronted a woman, groped her, exposed himself in a stairwell at Sinclair Community College in Dayton, Ohio. Now, also in 2008, Rossi was accused of raping a 21-year-old woman in Utah. A rape kit was taken, Danny, but it sat there unprocessed. He was identified as the suspect, but the lead detective in this case decided to close the case without referring it to prosecutors. That is according to the Utah County Attorney General's office. That DNA evidence from 2008 was not entered into the national DNA database until 2017. And I will tell you, Danny, in my opinion, that in itself is a crime. It is. I, when I read that, I, you know, I looked for some other sources of information, but everything's consistent. And, and the bottom line is the detective, for whatever reason, just closed his file. He, he never presented the case to the prosecutors for consideration. Uh, it sounded like he had more than enough. Well, clearly he did because they're they're now going to be charging him where they have charged him with that rape. And like you said, they had the DNA evidence and and he didn't do anything with it. So, um, yeah, that's that's just tragic and terrible. And, you know, there's there's no defense of that. It's just 
It's obscene. It, it is obscene. There is no defense of that. And sadly, this is an example of what is happening in every community, in every district in which there are tons of rape kits that are sitting there not processed. It is it is um, a huge problem that law enforcement has been having to deal with, but no real solution has come of it yet. And this is one of those examples of why it is so serious an issue that it must be addressed and they need to be processed. So in 2017, his DNA from that kit gets entered into the database. The following year in 2018, authorities in Utah determine his DNA is linked to the two sex cases from 2008, the one in Ohio, and then the one in Utah. Nicholas Rossi is then charged with first degree rape in Utah in September of 2020. In addition to the sex assault charges, the FBI also had a warrant out for Nicholas and still does for allegedly defrauding his foster father. He allegedly took out credit cards in his name using his ID and ran up debts of as much as $200,000. Okay, so clearly you got a lot of agencies looking for this guy. Uh, you know, for a multiple for multiple types of crimes, according to published reports, he's also accused or suspected of the following crimes because it doesn't end there. Harassment and possible kidnapping. He apparently has cases in Ohio, Utah, Massachusetts and Rhode Island, where he apparently grew up and uh, and faked his death from cancer. Is this unbelievable? Yeah, it really is. And, and the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to get there next, but he, he's not um, what people are going to imagine. He's also, he has this very public image and he's involved in politics to a degree. He's, he's involved in, in, in this, uh, this movement to, to do something to help with, um, uh, with, with the foster care um, system. And I, I don't know all the details of that, but he's he's involved in some things that you would think, oh, what a great guy. But he has these two lives that he lives. And, and I guess that's why he ultimately uh, faked his death and, and fled the country because, you know, it's it was catching up. It was catching up. So you have all these warrants and charges from multiple states that he is facing. Now, we're going to move to Rhode Island, which is where he faked his death. What's interesting about who he was, um, Nicholas Rossi, if we're going to go with that name, had a very public life. He yeah. became very active, became an advocate for the rights of foster children and children in the welfare system, the child welfare system, to make sure that their rights were protected. He claimed that he had been sexually abused as a child. And as a result of his story, which he went public with, many people in Rhode Island found him a very sympathetic character, person, a person with a story. As a result of that, he had entree into the world of politics and was actually working for the legal reform of the system for the betterment of the children for better laws to protect them. Okay, so Danny, as you said, we have two very radically different people, one who publicly is working to save children, the other one accused of sexually assaulting women. 
Yeah, and I don't I don't discount his story of of his childhood and, and being a victim himself because oftentimes that you know that's something that's found in uh, in predators that that they themselves have been victims. So I mean it's it's very likely that his story is true and clearly he's passionate about that. But then he has this other side of him that is uh, not only you know he, not only is he a criminal but he's very devious and um, and brazen truthfully and violent very violent violent, individual you know allegedly very violent the providence journal reports about his obituary right because we're going to find some little nuggets in there so that's dated february 29th of 2020 so what i'm thinking is and what everyone's thinking is that all the other cases are catching up with him he's feeling the pressure and it's time to get out of town and he's going to do that and say going to fake my death. I'm going to get out of here and no one's ever going to bother me again. And I'll have a great life in Scotland. So in the obituary, it said that he died from non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So after he fakes his death, though, is when the authorities are like, now, wait a minute. We don't believe he's dead. If anything, it drew more attention to him in a way. But he had already disappeared. Um, an unidentified woman, I'm, I want to know who this person is, an unidentified woman claiming to be his wife called and emailed several news outlets to announce his death, okay? Because, you know, you almost want to, like, die and get out of town, right? But no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not this guy. Nicholas had a lot of fanfare with his death. Yeah. And she told the news outlets he had been cremated and, and then His remains were buried at sea. All very dramatic, right? So that's it. Nicholas is gone. There's no body, nothing that can be done. So in January of 2021, investigators who were very suspicious that he had not died pressed the woman who was claiming to be the wife, the widow, um, for more information because things were not making sense. So she, under pressure, according to the Providence Journal, wrote a five-page email my guess is this thing is filled with information. Right. And okay, I'm going to quote from this because it just adds to this very strange case. So this is what she wrote. Quote, unless my husband was cloned and died in my arms and faked cancer diagnosis, treatment, heart disease, heart attacks for months, for months, the man had heart attacks before that, before he passed away in my arms. It's a miracle he lived that long with a heart attack every day. Right. <laughs> so nonetheless, when the journal, when the reporters at the journal said, you know what, can you just send us a copy of his death certificate? Strangely, she did not send the death certificate. Wouldn't that be the, I mean, to think about it, if you're going to fake your death, you're going to need a death certificate. Right, right. Details. All in details. Okay, so then, <laughs> then the reporters from the Providence Journal reach out to Nicholas's former attorney, and they ask, like, you know, what do you think is going on? And his former attorney, Jeffrey Pine, says, do I think it's possible he's alive? Of course I do. <laughs> I guess the attorney does not want to incriminate himself. Okay. Right. So that is the history, some of the history of Nicholas Rossi. Let us now go back to Scotland. 
Authorities set up a video link at the hospital in the hospital room so he could start the extradition proceedings to get him back to the United States to be so he can face the Utah charges, the one that uh, right now is the top charge. And a police officer has been now posted outside of his hospital room. According to the Utah County attorney, David Levitt, he told BBC Scotland, we will now have to go through the process of proving in a Scottish court that Arthur Knight is actually Nicholas Rossi. So just because they have some matching fingerprints and DNA, there's a whole legal process that this guy has to go through and the prosecutors have to go through overseas before he is actually released. And that process is gonna take some time, but um, the, the prosecutor here in the United States said, you know what, we're gonna go through it and we don't care how long it takes because the victim in the Utah sexual assault has been waiting 13 years for her justice. Right. So there is the will without question in Utah to get this guy back. Now, the prosecutor did tell NBC News, he said, you know what? We probably would have never found this guy had he not gotten COVID and checked himself into a hospital. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's it'd be really interesting to find out how that information came about, because that's that's the big question. And that's the link that we're missing and probably the most interesting part of the whole story, truthfully. Yeah, it is. It really is the irony, the karma of a man who fakes his own death and then nearly dies of a real disease. And that is the reason that he is found really and apprehended. I mean, the, the irony, the karma there is amazing. Yeah, karma is a good word for it, too. And, um, you know, you mentioned the victim thir waiting 13, 14 years almost probably by this point. But, uh, you know, that's it's it's difficult enough to get the victims of rape to to stay involved in the case. You know, it's it's a it's a terrible thing that, that a victim has to go through when they prosecute a person who has raped them because basically essentially they relive it and they have to relive it publicly and in this case it's going to be extremely uh public you know this this is going to bring a lot of media attention so you know god bless this poor lady and and i do hope that that you know she's they're able to to get through this with her and 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 that she can stay intact and hopefully she has some some counseling and a lot of good advising yeah so we're going to keep an eye on this one when Nicholas does arrive back in the United States to face the charges that he should absolutely be facing. So we will keep an eye on that one. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you, whether that's learning to cook, ordering less takeout, or prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home easy and enjoyable. HelloFresh offers the flexibility that you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. You can change your delivery date, your food preferences, and the plan size. You can even choose to skip a week whenever you need to. And in addition to the 50 menu and market items that they have, there's also dessert. Satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal limited time goodies like Dunkaroos cookie dough or vanilla delight cheesecake. 
I thoroughly enjoyed my HelloFresh box. I have to tell you, I was so impressed with the produce. The onions were spectacular, and there were red and the yellow onions, plus the carrots. Unbelievable. So many carrots, I'm still eating the carrots. So go to HelloFresh.com slash TCD16 and use code TCD16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash TCD as in True Crime Daily 16. Don't forget to use that code TCD16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Our next case is from Clarksville, Tennessee, which is about an hour northwest of Nashville. And that's really not too far from the Kentucky border. That's where 39-year-old Vanessa Blanchard lives with her 12-year-old son who has autism. She is accused of faking his death and then abandoning him for weeks in a motel. Vanessa's son attends a school for special needs and he hadn't been in class for several days. This was back in October. So the school resource officer reached out to the mother, Vanessa, to find out where is the boy, is something happened, what's going on? Police say that the mother told the school officer that her son had died two days earlier on Wednesday, October 27th of 2021, that he had died from a seizure. According to multiple local news reports, and the police. The boys' classmates and their parents were not only devastated by the news, they actually decided to start raising money for his funeral costs. Now, I think, you know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, you're dealing with a child who has special needs. He goes to a school with other children who have special needs. This news of his death his sudden death was so shocking and jarring to these children, some of whom have challenges in processing certain emotions and processing these kinds of traumatic events. So, So many parents expressed how hard it was for their children who were so fond of him to, to, to deal with their grief. So, I want to make sure that, you know, this is a very serious situation, not just for the safety of that child, but also for the emotional safety of these children who were caught up in this crime of faking a death. They really were. And they were affected by this, which which I think is, you know, just adds to the tragedy here. You know, our most vulnerable children. Thank God nobody did die. Nobody did die. So back to the case. The the children and the teachers and the parents are raising money. And so they contact the local funeral home. You know, they want to see how much is all this going to cost? You know, what are our deadlines? And that's when the director of the funeral home told the, you know, these do-gooders in the community that there were so far no record of any arrangements. The arrangements hadn't been made yet. So then the organizers contacted the mother and the mother said, oh, well, that's because my son's body is still at the hospital pending an autopsy examination. Okay, all right. You might buy that, right, Danny? Up up to that point, right? 
Well, I wouldn't, but uh, I mean, a lot of people could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, of, of course I, you wouldn't believe anybody, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, if you're, if you're grief stricken and you're trying sure. to do the right thing and you're like, well, that makes yeah. sense. And you talk to the mom and the mom tells you that, like, you know, even if things are a little, you know, fuzzy when a mother is believed to be in mourning, they're not going to be their best, right? They may not be the most lucid, logical. That's what I would say. Yeah, because I mean, who would do that? So to question whether or not, you know, her her child really passed away, uh, you'd have to, to start there saying, well, you just can't get past that. Like no one no. would do that, right? No, so. it's not a logical next step. It's like, well, he's not no. really dead. Of course not. Everybody's crying. <laughs> of course he's dead. Yeah. So at this point, the deputies at the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department are starting to think something's wrong here because a child has died in their community and they don't seem to have any record of the child dying. And there's right. this big community push, you know, to help the family. And they're like, but isn't that a little weird? Like, wouldn't we know if a child had died suddenly and and hold on a second. And, you know, doesn't take long, a couple of calls over to the coroner's office to find out there is no child. There is no record of of his dying. So according to the arrest affidavit for the mother on November 16th. So now he's been missing, what, several weeks. The school had issued the boy a laptop for you know, for him to be able to do his work. Remember, so many kids have been doing remote work, but also to do homework and everything else. So they notice, hey, wait a minute. The laptop is active. Someone is using it. Like who else would be using his laptop? I guess you could think, okay, well, maybe the mother is, right? Someone in the family. Um, they traced the computer and they found that it was being used at the vacation motor motel. Now, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department is very, very sensitive on this issue. And I'm going to ask you, Danny, why they want to make it absolutely clear that they didn't use the laptop to find his location, but they kind of did. I don't understand the is there some kind of sensitivity because it's a school issued laptop and, and the authorities don't want people thinking that they're being kept track of. I mean, they're highly sensitive to this part of the narrative. Uh, that would be my guess. And it doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, it seems to me that, that the, the computer definitely is, is the link that brought them to that motel. But, but yeah, the only thing I can think of is, is as you mentioned, you know, they must be wanting to protect the school or the school is really having a fit about this, not wanting information released. And, and the only reason for that would be just, to, to have, you know, the other children and, and family feel secure in the fact that they've got these school computers and they're not being spied on, you know, which of course wouldn't be the case, but you know, it's, it's clear that somehow that computer uh, is what brought them to the motel where they found the boy. Absolutely. I mean, they noticed it was on, it wasn't making any sense. They aren't being completely transparent about how they got from there to the motel, but I right. think we can all fill the dots in over there. So, uh, the sheriff's department says that the boy was located at the motel. He had been staying there by himself for weeks. Now, 
Here's my question about this, which which I haven't been able to get answered. And we may not because a lot of times things are not revealed. So he's in the motel room by himself. The mother allegedly tells the police, well, I check in on him either every day or every other day. Right. Well, that's biggie, mom. That's really big of you. Wow. Mother of the year, huh? Yeah. Um, so a few things here. The motel, the people working at the motel had to have found this a little odd, right? At some point that's, you're picking up on this, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I wondered is is what's going on with the uh, the staff there at the motel? Why, you know, this kid is obviously just staying in the room. I mean, you would think. Um, I, I can't imagine that he's got a presence outside of the room, so there's there's housekeeping and so forth I, I it just it's a very very odd thing that that someone else hadn't called um and i did want to go back real quick anna you mentioned the uh the coroner's office and the you know the uh the mom saying that he was at the hospital waiting for an autopsy and just you know to make it clear for the listeners the, when when a person dies there is automatically a coroner's case issued um, unless it's a natural death and there's doctor assigned death certificate and so forth, but that's another another subject. In in this type of a case where a child died, there would be a, a coroner's case issued right away. And so as soon as as soon as the police looked into this, uh, there's no doubt that that's how they they started saying, okay, something's wrong. Let's let's dig into this. Yeah, that definitely would have been priority number one in figuring out that there was obviously something wrong with her story. So right. I'm also trying to figure out, you know, I don't care how inexpensive a motel room is. It is still an expense. So two weeks in a motel is not cheap, no matter how no. cheap the motel is. So how right. is she paying for it? And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Motive is the one thing that the authorities have not at all touched on here. I have some well, suspicions. Yeah, and I'm sure we, you know, everyone listening is is nodding their head and, you know, we're all thinking the same things and it's going to be, you know, primarily involving drugs, I would imagine, you know, because basically you have a mother that's abandoned the child and supposedly she goes by and she checks on the child. And, you know, Anna, and this, this might sound a little bit strange but for me i'm just thankful that the child is alive because clearly this this mother is someone who found herself in a situation where she didn't want the the kid around she was otherwise engaged in whatever she's engaged in you know and and you know again my suspicions would be that she's involved with drugs and and a man or some men or whatever but you know these are the types of cases that often end very tragically um so i mean at least the kid was in a motel and you know at least relatively safe as as far as that uh, you know not being not being uh a murder victim so yeah it's interesting you said drugs you know what i thought my suspicion is look it's hard being a parent those of us who have gone through it understand there are very challenging times Add to that either a child who is ill or a child who has special needs. And it can be very hard to take care of a child. And I was just wondering if maybe there was a part of her that was just like, I can't, you know, 
but it's yeah, so and weird. And if so, that's tragic because I mean, there there is a lot of help available for people, and and I'm sure that at that special needs school that that there's a lot of help available there. And as and as you know, through the uh, some of the interviews of the parents of these other children, you know the 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 boy was well thought of there. He had friends and. So that would be tragic if that's the case. And, you know, I'm cynical. I, I My guess is is that, you know, she was probably involved in something, uh, you know, that, that basically he was he was in the way and um, and she wanted to live her life. So, you know, I could be wrong, but that would be my guess. That's the first thing I would be looking at. I wonder, you know, we talk about these cases where something horrible has happened within the family and you've got you know, a child with special needs. We, we cover these crimes a lot because I feel very, very strongly about them. I feel very strongly about our most vulnerable in yeah. in the world. And I wonder, is it possible that in some weird way that she actually may have kept him safe there? Is it possible, whether it was intentional or inadvertently, by keeping him at the motel if you're right, Danny, and something horrible was going on in her life that maybe was very dangerous, is it possible in some weird way that she kept him safe there? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that could be too. And that's that's kind of along the lines of what I'm saying. At least she had him there. And, you know, and if you take her at her word, she went by and checked on him occasionally, which I would think, if nothing else, to, to provide, you know, food and water, she'd have to. So, you know, it, I, I guess that's my whole point. This, this whole thing could have been much more tragic. And, and I guess, you know, that's a presumption I'm making, you know, with, with my, some of my ideas of what she might have been involved in. And I, and I could be completely wrong on that. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. I look forward to learning more about this case. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we will. Yeah, we have a really, really vocal community on our YouTube channel. So I can't wait yeah. to hear all of your thoughts on this because so many of you have such incredible backgrounds and you look at things in ways and you start these discussions, which is what I love about this podcast. So I can't wait to hear what you all have to think about this case in particular. Now, Vanessa Blanchard was arrested last week on January 12th, 2022. She's been charged with contributing to the delinquent of a minor and false impression of death. She's being held on $5,000 bond. And what we're all waiting to find out is, you know, why? I, I do want to add um, just a little bit more about the, the children in the class. They are now getting special counselors, grief counselors, Sure. who were originally, you know, sent there to help them grieve uh, the, the sudden death of a child. Now those same counselors are now working with the children to process not only their grief, but their complete confusion. And here's the thing. If we can, there's never going to be an answer that you can give these children that's ever going to comfort them about what happened to this child. There's never, there's no one can process this. No, no, because they're going to, it's, it's, they've been betrayed, you know, they're, and they've gone through this, this 
range of, of emotions. And I, you know, one of the parents talked about that e- even after some of this had come to light, uh, apparently a lot of the kids at school didn't know it. And the one parent goes into a, a game station or, or some type of a store and, and there's the boy and, and her son is his friend and he believes the, that the boy is dead. He still hadn't learned. This is before he learned that, that the, that the boy wasn't dead. So that was a very traumatic thing in and of itself. I, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, how do you deal with that? I mean, they even put a shrine on his desk and his seat in the classroom. Yeah. You know, I just don't, I don't want to lose sight of how this tragedy has affected this entire community. It's really unbelievable. Now, the other thing is we do not know where the boy is now, the 12 year old boy, but the police say that he's in a safe location and they will not comment on his custody situation. So hopefully the whole town is really looking out for him wherever he is, because this is going to take a lot of healing. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the crimes that she's charged with are are misdemeanors. So it's not like, um, it's not like she's going to be going to prison for what she's done. Uh, I I would imagine she's going to lose custody of the child, but you know, who knows? I I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a very, very um, strange and, and almost bizarre set of circumstances that, that, you know, don't allow the, the authorities to charge her with actual child endangerment or anything along those lines. So th- there must be some some facts that, that we we're not aware of where maybe she was actually caring for him the way she said she was. And and she's just being charged with these two misdemeanor uh, cases. Yeah. Again, we're going to watch this one. It is time for our comments section. These are the crime stories you all are talking about. And our Owen Michael is here now. He watches, he reads, he's got his finger on the pulse of things. Hi, Owen. Hello, Anna. Hello, Danny. Uh, I have a Florida story for you today. Yay! uh, Two Florida women reportedly showed up at a man's residence around 3 a.m. last Monday, January 10th. Clearwater police said one of the women allegedly climbed over the balcony at his apartment, went inside and threw containers full of glitter at him. She then reportedly unlocked the front door to let her friend inside. Clearwater police report the women allegedly both tossed glitter canisters at the victim, hitting him in the head and the torso. On the way out, they reportedly threw more glitter around the apartment and one of the suspects kicked out a window, according to police. Police reportedly traced a vehicle back to one of the women's homes about two miles away. They said the vehicle was still warm to the touch and had incriminating glitter inside of it when the officers found it. The alleged perpetrators were charged with burglary, excuse me, burglary with assault or battery and criminal mischief. There was no word on what prompted this alleged attack. Heather S. said, I bet he looked nice afterwards. <laughs> Sparkly. Ranesh H. said, just like those charges they have, that glitter is going to be with him for life. Glitter being notoriously difficult to remove. Yes. Uh, Jason W. said having to clean all that up is the real crime. Corinna said uh, he was an exemplary he was an exemplary victim, a shining star, if you will. <laughs> their future isn't looking too bright. It's like they've lost their sparkle sparkle somehow. Okay, I'm done. LOL. Corinne really went to town with that one. Uh, and Warren P. says criminal mischief never felt like such an appropriate name for a charge. 
I do love the use of the glitter because I agree. Good luck, buddy, getting that glitter <laughs> off of you, out of every crevice, everywhere in your house. What did he do to upset what did he them do? so? The, the, uh, the mugshots of these two women, uh, are, they are grinning broadly in that they don't uh, seem to have a whole lot of uh, remorse, but that's not for me to say. But um, yeah, kind of a ridiculous uh, situation going on in uh, Clearwater, Florida last week. You know, you do not want to upset the artsy, craft, crafty That's kind right. of craftsy people. Yeah, because they have weapons and tools in and their they're creative. They're very creative. Yes, they're creative with with glitter and glue guns. You know what? The person should be thankful they didn't whip out the glue gun. That's what I'm saying about this one. OK. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure this man is considering himself lucky in some ways. And uh, I don't know, probably unlucky in others. Yeah, I am not by any means condoning any kind of Holy violent magic. action with glitter. I'm just simply saying that if you or have just, that much glitter, you have other tools in the arsenal. That's right. We're just analyzing the situation here. Yes. So glittery and sparkly. <laughs> Danny, anything to toss in? You know, I, I'm, I'm honestly sitting here telling myself danny just shut up don't okay. say a thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably good probably good all right uh -oh. owen thank you we'll see you next week bye guys see you next week see you Owen. so danny where can people find your books you not only have this book which is more of a memoir than nothing left to prove but you also have a series of crime novels that you've written i do i have uh seven novels that are published it's uh, i have the dickie floyd detective series so people who like crime fiction people who like bosch you know patterson Connolly, uh, elmore leonard they've they've uh enjoyed my books i get a lot of uh people that say that you know my my writing is on par with with that uh wamba novels uh, so people like it it's it's um, all available on amazon and uh danny r smith there's, uh, I have a website, murdermemo.com or dickiefloydnovels.com, and I am all over social media. Indeed, you are. You can, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, can you can find me at Anna G News. Sometimes I post about crime, usually about chihuahuas, sometimes about yeah. food, which brings us to our sponsor. We really want to thank HelloFresh for sponsoring our podcast. We appreciate it. And I very much appreciate the wonderful fresh food that they have sent me. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to True Crime Daily, our YouTube channel. We've got nearly 5 million subscribers. You should be one of them. And also sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. So until next week, as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs> <laughs>